It's a bit like that. Director's commentary on history, past and future. That's prophecy. So we can be really grateful for this prophecy because, because God's people are always on the ropes in some way. Always on the ropes. Uh, for some, it is outright persecution. Some that are very severe. Uh, last week, I shared a little bit about um, a North Korean lady called Bay. Uh, she, like thousands, in a prison camp, starving for owning a Bible. Persecuted. And many others in a similar situation. Uh, that might be the case for us, at least in a small way, persecution. But most of us, certainly what we would find is how evil and sin grinds us down. It grinds us down. It puts us on the ropes. And I wonder if you feel a bit like that in a moment or have done recently. Do you feel ground down by the battering of kind of evil and sin and suffering? Do you feel on the ropes? Because it can make us waver from Jesus very easily. That's a normal experience. And that's why we have revelation. And Jesus would have us hear this, that Jesus has won. He's won. So stick with him. Uh, We're going to look at this passage, the beginning here, in three parts. Uh, We're going to see that we have Jesus' testimony, we have his victory, and we have his certainty. So it's all really good news. Uh, So first of all, and do if you want to read along, uh, do pick up a Bible from in front of you um, and read along as, as we go through it. Uh, So first of all, verses 1 to 3, we have Jesus' testimony. So from verse 1, it says this, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, that's God's people, what must soon take place. Now, a, a little quick note, important note about timing here. So he talks about what must soon take place. And then in verse 3, it talks about kind of the time is near. Well, what's going on there? Well, that soon is, is God's time scale. It's not ours. His kind of soon. He's the God over everything and over time. Because it's saying in that first line, is it? God himself is the source of this revelation. That's the claim. And that he gave it to Jesus himself to then give to his people, his servants. So do we see the scale of this claim is that we're hearing from the supreme being of the whole cosmos. See the scale of that? That's why we're listening to this. Now, how has this been made known? Uh, Well, verse 2 goes on to tell us, uh, he, Jesus, made it known. How? By sending his angel to his servant, John. And we're going to go on to this next week, but John is the man who saw the revelation first, and he wrote it down to share. And next week, verses will tell us a bit more about that John. Uh, Perhaps he was the John who wrote John's gospel, uh, first disciple of Jesus. But John wrote it down uh, because he saw it. So verse 2, John testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what we have here, what we have is the testimony of Jesus. Now I don't know if you like court dramas. I quite like court dramas. Maybe you're a massive fan. I don't know. But in court dramas, you know, there's always going to be a key witness at some point, Right? It's going to change the plot, and it's going to be the big point in the film, uh, a key witness. And kind of from hearing from that key witness, suddenly we see the truth. Ah, oh, I see. It's like one of those moments. 
And it's similar here. This is Jesus' testimony. Again, do we see the scale of this? This is not that we're hearing from, it's not that Jesus is a, a dead guru like Buddha was. It's not that he is a dead leader like Muhammad was. The claim here is that he is a living witness. And in hearing from him, we see the truth. That's the claim. So no wonder it's 100% for our good. Totally for our good, of course, if Jesus is who he says he is. It's for our good. And verse 3 says that. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. So friends, let's hear Jesus' testimony. Let's take it to heart. Let's do that. Is that important? I mean, um, before Christmas, I was um, helping with a course we had here at church called the uh, Bereavement Journey. And um, for people who go, you know, grieving someone who's died. And it was a kind of a five, six-week course, just helping people on that journey, a very difficult time. And I'm not going to share anything confidential, of course, but um, within the group that I was in, someone did comment, a comment that really stood out for me from someone who'd lost someone very close to them was this. Sometimes I see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then I think, is that a light coming? Is that the end? Or is that a train coming to get me? Is that a train coming my way? That really stood out for me. Gosh, you, got, you want to know what's coming, don't you? You want to know what you're dealing with. It's, we need to know. And in Jesus, we know what is coming. And I'll be honest, that comment kind of found a bit scary, just unsettling hearing that. And I wonder if that kind of maybe is your reaction as well. Because just thinking of the tension of not knowing what is coming at you and the horror of thinking, oh, maybe we've got it all wrong. I wonder if you feel on the ropes at the moment. And I wonder if you find yourself thinking, I don't know what's going on in my life or in the world and it's stressing me out. I just... Jesus says, I'll tell you what's going on. The big picture. So you can take it to heart. So stick with me. So we have Jesus' testimony, which is good news. And then secondly, verses 4 to 6, we'll spend a bit longer on this. Uh, Verses 4 to 6, we have Jesus' victory. We have his victory because he's already won. So John, um, who wrote this down... um, he gives his greetings to seven specific churches that he's writing to. And those churches, well, where are they? They're in modern-day Turkey. You could visit them now. Um, well, the, the places, certainly. And it's, that's the province of Asia, in modern-day Turkey. And Jesus actually will address each of them in turn in chapters 2 and 3. But first here, though, uh, John, well, John gives his greetings from God himself, from Father, Son, and Spirit. So verse 4 says this, says, John... To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. So that is God himself. He just is and he always will be. He is unchangeable. Grace and peace to you from him. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And that's a a phrase that means seven bold spirit, which means God's Holy Spirit himself. That's an Old Testament reference. I mean, can you imagine being in one of those 
uh, seven churches and hearing this, that the unchangeable God greets you with grace and peace. And if Jesus is your Lord today, it's the same for us. Grace and peace from God above. And it's Jesus' greetings that we have next. Now, I was going to say, if, if you have a highlighter, or if you have one at home, if you were to get that out and highlight in your own Bibles, um, best not to graffiti these Bibles we have, ideally, in the church building, just I'd better say that. Um, but if you were to highlight any verses from Revelation, I would say highlight is these verses, verses 5 to 6, personally. Because these verses explain gloriously that Jesus has already won against evil and sin and death. He's already won. So Jesus is God the Son. And by this point, he's already lived on earth. He's been tried and he's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. And he's risen to God the Father. He's risen above. And let's go through these phrases in verse 5 to understand this. So verse 5, do look down with me if you'd like to. Verse 5. Jesus is the faithful one. He never gave up on his ministry all the way to death. Faithful. And he is the faithful witness. So he perfectly displayed God to the world. So he's trustworthy, right? Totally trustworthy. But there's more. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, we're told. So, which means this, which means that he resurrected first, his people will resurrect after. He, came, he did it first, his people will follow. Which is talking about victory over death. And over sin that lies behind death. Because sin brought death into the world. And then the crowning of his victory. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's risen above to rule over all. He's in charge of all. And he's calling to life people from every corner of the world. He's king, ruler of the kings of the earth. And this all tells us that Jesus has won already. And notice the word is there. To the one who is. Faithful witness, firstborn from the dead. Is. So not might become or not even will become, but is. It's already happened. The victory's already happened. He is the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead. And we might say, well, I mean... Yeah, really? You know, we're on the ropes here, hello, and it's just too soon to call victory. Evil is still around. John says, no, no, no. Jesus has won. The main battle is over. The evil one is on the floor, defeated. He's thrashing around. But he's defeated. The rest of verse 5 tells us just how important this is. So let's see the rest of verse 5. John says this, To the one who loves us, loves us, Jesus is passionately devoted to us. To the one who has freed us, freed us from our sins by his blood. So our, uh, meaning our sin has no power or penalty over us anymore. And to the one who has remade us. He's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Which means, what does that mean? It means we have a purpose now. We're to live out God's plans, to pray for the world, and to point people to the way to God. That's what it's talking about. 
So no wonder John ends verse 6 with just pouring out praise to Jesus. He's just pouring it out. To him be glory and power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Of course he would do that. We have Jesus' victory. Praise God. So you see, we already have that victory. Now, to, to help us understand this, because we've talked about a lot, and a lot of descriptions of who Jesus is and what he's done, I realize. Um, here's an illustration, which I hope will help us to think about this. Think of, it's not a very nice thought in a way, but think of um, execution by firing squad. Okay, Think of that. And um, all humanity is lined up, one by one, individually. And every person has a gun facing them, individually, with a bullet in it. And that bullet has their name on it. It's the bullet we deserve for loving God, for loving ourselves above God. And the Bible calls that a sin. We would deserve that. Because God is just, which is a good thing, every bullet must be fired. Justice must be gone, must be done. Jesus is God himself, and he lived the perfect blameless life. It's like Jesus has no bullet against his name, unlike us. But he willingly accepts his own crucifixion to death. And that's like Jesus steps forward from the line of humanity, and every bullet that is, fired on every, that is aimed on every individual in history Every bullet is aimed on him, turns on him. And he takes it, it's fired, he takes it, he dies. And then he's raised to life afterwards because he's bigger than death. Now at that point, do you see, at that point, Jesus has won over sin and death. What do I mean? That the bullets have been fired. The gun barrels are empty from that point. We will never face that bullet of sin and death. We're freed. That is the victory of Jesus. And when we're on the ropes, we can feel like the evil one. Death, it's, we can feel like we've got kind of you know, a gun aimed at us. And we feel like there's no way out. Or we feel like, well, what's going on? It can feel like we're in trouble. But the reality of Jesus' victory is that we can know the gun is empty. He's taken it on himself. We're free. You see, it's a victory, and it's happened in the past already, and it takes the future for us. So do you see why this matters? This matters so much. The evil one is on the floor, thrashing defeated. The gun is empty. I know there's are two mixed metaphors, I know. Pick whichever metaphor helps you most. But do you see? He's down, he's out. And if you're a Christian, people can... Life is hard, but people, people can laugh at us and mutter about us and shout at us. It doesn't, nothing, nothing affects his victory because there's no bullet in that gun anymore. Do you see? Stick with Jesus. Stick with him because we've already got his victory. And then lastly, and a bit more briefly, more briefly, lastly, verses 7 to 8. John concludes this bit. We have Jesus' certainty because of what we've seen. Uh, here in these verses, John looks ahead with, with total certainty to the future. So Jesus had promised to return again to bring justice and a new creation. And John knows now just how certain that is. 
and he uses a couple of Old Testament verses to picture it. So uh, verse 7, and do read along with me. Uh, verse 7, look, he says, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds. He's coming. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. That's literally, yes, amen. I love that, don't you? Yes, amen. What he saying? What's he saying? He's saying it's certain. Jesus will come. And not just Christians will see him, but every eye will see him. And we will mourn because of him. Meaning, uh, meaning we're going to mourn for him. And what does that mean? It means, it means that our evil and our sin caused Jesus' misery on the cross. It was the reason he went there. His caused his piercing by nails and spear. We caused that because of our sin. But that misery brought victory, and that victory is certain, because it's already happened. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, so the beginning and the end and everything in between, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Unchangeable God, unchangeable victory. Jesus is one. It's certain because it's already happened. So we stick with him. And maybe the thing we need to do from looking at this passage tonight is to gaze on this Jesus. Take time to gaze. This is, this is our Jesus. He's real. Or maybe you could spend time and just... Uh, picking a song you might know, uh, you know, a Christian song, and just singing praise to this Jesus. This is him. This isn't fiction. This is true. Feast on who he is and his victory, his certain victory. And let me share with you uh, about someone who has stuck with Jesus for a very long time. A uh, very long time. Uh, a friend, well, a friend, uh, someone I know called um, James Houston. He's a family friend of Caris's from the time in Canada. Uh, a Scottish man, uh, university lecturer, very clever man, a lecturer in Oxford. And then he uh, founded a theological college in Vancouver in the 60s, I think. Um, and he's now 99. Still alive. He's only just stopped lecturing. Can you believe that? But he's still writing. 99. And Caris and I have been reading some of his letters from a hospital bed. Reflections from a 99-year-old. It's quite something. I just want to share uh, something of what he wrote, his New Year's one. 99. Became a Christian in his, his teens, I think. He wrote this. Dear friends, in many respects, December the 31st is in no way particularly different from January the 1st especially here in the seniors' hospital home where I live. The daily routine will and must continue, and yet 2022 may well mark the year that I return to an eternal presence with the God that made me unique, who knew of my days when there were none, and who knows the time and moments when my time is complete. Many know the marked time of cancer or other disease that inexorably consumes the available days and And while we soon will mark a new year, it will be as unknown as the many before. And so I find myself marking the new year, not with grand promises, most of which are never kept, but with a resolved stillness 
and of patience to wait expectantly for Christ to come. And then he finishes. In the earlier months this year, now ending, I have been far more eager to die than I find myself now. It's not that I am no longer weary with the work of this life, but as long as the Lord gives me breath, I want to use it to be urgent for his glory. Isaiah reminds me to seek the Lord while he may be found. And so as we enter a new year, I urge each of us not to make false promises to long-dead gods, but to seek him who knows us each so well and holds our identity safely in his hands. Go well, dear friends, into this good new year, not because you have resolved much, but because your heavenly Father, through Christ, has redeemed much. With my blessings, Jim. Now there's a man who's learned to stick with Christ many years. You see his confidence. Nothing in life or death is out of Jesus' hands at all. Do you feel on the ropes in the moment? I bet Jim Houston did. I know he did. Every year of his life, no doubt, in different ways. But tonight, friends, know deeply that Jesus has won already. And we can stick with him too. So let's pray together for God's help to do that. Heavenly Father, we, we really want to take a moment to remember and gaze upon the reality of who Jesus is. The living, faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. Father, you know how easy it is to uh, waver from him if we are following him. How we feel on the ropes in all sorts of different ways. And Father, we pray so much for your help to see him afresh daily. To gaze upon him and to know all that is true because of him. We thank you that we have his testimony. We have his certain victory all the way to the future because it happened in the past. And we pray that uh, we would stick with him tonight, this week, however many years you give us, for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.